All right, please turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter number three. It's good to be together in the house of God. Amen. It's good to be gathered together and sing wonderful hymns to our wonderful God, for he's worthy of our praise. Amen. Mark chapter number three. We'll read verses 31 to 35 and we'll get into the message this morning. Notice what the Bible says there. In Mark chapter number 3, verse 31 to 35, Then came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, and sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren are without, seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them that sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God is the same, sorry, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we do come before you this morning and thank you, Father, for this passage. We ask and pray that you would continue to minister to us. Father, as we have sung to you today, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and honor you. Uh, Lord God, thank you for uh, your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and the common bond that we have in him. And truly, he is the reason, Father, why we're here today. And we ask and pray that you would continue to build our faith up by your word, that we would know, Lord God, the truths that surround this passage and, and what our Lord Jesus Christ meant. I pray that you'd help me convey these truths to the heart of your people that they would learn and lean on Christ and Christ alone, that would embrace, Father, this relationship that you have given an opportunity with us, every one of us, to come into. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't yet know their Christ, their Saviour. God, I pray for their salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would convict their heart in order for them to see their need. Father, to, to have a relationship with God, not to just be religious, and that their heart will be moved to know Thee and to know Thee, to know life eternal. We ask and pray that Your Word will get a hold of us, that we'll continue to draw nigh to You and know You and be known of You. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> in Mark chapter number 3, in verse 35, we find Jesus making a statement that identifies several main aspects regarding human relationship with the God-man, Jesus Christ. This one verse is absolutely loaded with theology that reflects the deity of Christ and undermines other religions, especially the mainstream traditional Christianity, uh, for example, Catholicism. This passage is a solid rebuke to anyone that worships Mary or any other person for that matter. First of all, Jesus did not undermine, I want you to understand as we go through this, his earthly family, but rather he gives more light to the truth that a spiritual relationship with Christ takes preeminence over the natural ones. Jesus cared for his earthly family. He wasn't denying any kind of responsibilities toward them. As a matter of fact, well, just before he died, he pointed to John, the beloved one, and said, Behold thy mother. He made sure that his earthly mother was taken care of while he was uh, simply being glorified. Jesus rebuked the religious rulers in his day for dishonoring their parents. 
Jesus cared for the well-being of his, of his family spiritually. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter number 1, verse 14, we see that his brethren, along with his mother, were there waiting for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. This verse clearly indicates the fact that having a, that having a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme and supersedes any earthly relationship anyone can have here on earth. Jesus is elevating the things of God above human relationships. I mean, after all, it was Jesus that said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son, daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It is a sad reality today that you see many people undermine and reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because of the fear of family or, or, or relationships that they might lose. Many have put their own interests before God, even their own life. Vermin McGee said, The Lord is saying that the strongest relationship today is a relationship between Christ and a believer. He says, Friend, if you are a child of God and you have unsaved family members, you are closer to Jesus than you are to your own kin, including your mother that bore you. You are more closely related to, our, uh, to other believers than you are to unsaved members of your family. And how true is that? This, this verse depicts the reality that the Lord does not show any partiality toward anyone that desires to enter in a spiritual relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus opens the door to the common man to have an opportunity to develop this relationship with God, the almighty creator, the one that created the universe, the one that made your mother and your father. It's amazing. When I go out on the street, if I got a dollar for every time I asked the uh, question and got the answer and said this to the people on the street while evangelizing, I'd probably be supported by them and them alone. Uh, uh, this is the question I asked them. I said, who do you think made you or who do you think gave you those legs? And instantly, people that don't know each other would always say, my mother and my father, like as if I'm silly and stupid. And I begin to say to them, yes, your mother and your father began the process, but it was God that formed you in the belly. He gave you the eyes and ears and the nose and mouth and the fingerprints and everything that you have was formated or formed by God. Without God, you wouldn't have a mother or your father. And that's the truth of it. Jesus uses the word whosoever, whosoever. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother, my sister, and my mother. This is a wonderful invitation that Jesus gives to all men. If the nation of Israel collectively dishonored and rejected, if we see the blaspheming against the Holy Spirit prior to this passage, and if they were going to reject the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if they were going to reject him, he simply uh, gives that invitation for any individual within, within that nation to come unto him. We see it in Matthew chapter 11. Come unto, come unto me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That the, the Lord opens the door to anybody to have a relationship with him, especially if the children of Israel rejected him. I thank God that the word whosoever opens the door to the Gentile world. Aren't you happy with that? We have a great God and a merciful God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, and preached unto the Gentiles. I thank God that the word of God, when it came to me, it, it, it gave me an opportunity to be in a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you today, that supersedes any relationship here on earth and any formed religion here on earth. Jesus said it best 
through the inspiration of the Apostle John when he said, Behold what manner of love that God has bestowed upon us that we should be called, what? The sons of God. The sons of God. And Jesus, no doubt, is alluding to the truth that it is not enough to be part of his biological family and ought to be part of his spiritual family. It's not enough. It's not enough. Jesus' own blood brothers denied him at one point, or doubted him, I should say, at one point of their lives, and then later on we see them come good. As a matter of fact, some of his close friends call, thought that he was crazy at one point when he started his ministry, when you look at the accounts of the gospel. But I want to simply say this to you, that nobody will ever enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or enter into the kingdom of God outside of the will of God. And that's fact and truth when you look at the scripture. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. And so we have to understand that heritage is not enough to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It might be an honor to be a chosen Israelite. It might be an honor to be brought up in a Bible-believing family, in a home. But let me, let me say this to you. It is not enough. Remember what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees? He said it very clearly to them. He said, bring forth therefore fruit worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves that we have Abraham, uh, our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. See, every single person in their day, in their generation, had to make a decision to turn to Christ. Every single person. Doesn't matter if you have a, a good heritage. You have to make a decision. Passion, zeal for spiritual things, uh, and, and for the truth is not enough. Israel had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He says, I bear them record they have a, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that who? That what? Believes. Knowing and consenting to the truth is not enough. Oh, how many people know the truth today about the, uh, the factual statements that we find in scripture that Jesus is the only way to heaven and, he, we, and, we, and they believe and consent with the gospel truth that he died, was buried and rose again and he's the only saviour. But they are not regenerated, they're not born again. How many people know the truth but haven't believed the truth and have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Many. As a matter of fact, when the scribe answered discreetly that we should love our God supremely and love our neighbour, you know what Jesus said to him? Jesus said thou, he said thou, he, he said this, he saw that he answered discreetly and he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. People can give the right answers and still not be in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase, the word shall do the will of God in Mark 3.35. For whosoever shall do the will of God. The same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now you need to understand, first thing, that the will of God is something that God simply puts uh, as his decreed will or desire. Things that he's put in place that he desires. It's his will. For example, God is not willing that any should what? Perish. But all come to what? Repentance. It's God's ultimate desire. To see people come to repentance. As a matter of fact, we look in Luke 15, 10, that, it, that he rejoices in the presence of angels when someone comes to repentance. 
So the first thing, let me just say this to you off the bat, that it is God's will that you come back or you repent and turn to God and get right with God through Jesus Christ. That's, that's God's ultimate will. That is the foundation for everything else that we build upon that foundation for our faith. And the whole purpose of salvation is that you and I and anyone in Christ will be formed into the image of his son. And listen, this is, this is, this is also the will of God. Every single one of us will come to know Christ, to be like Christ, to follow Christ, to worship him, to obey him. You know, prior to, to uh, previous uh, passages, we know and understand that Jesus calls men, all men to follow him. It doesn't matter who you are. And a lot of men, we know and understand that they were disciples, but walked no longer with Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples and said to Peter, will you go also? He says, where, where, where are we going to go? For you, hold, for you have the words of what? Of eternal life. The, the greatest desire for God is that you'd come to know him and to know him is to know what? Life eternal. That you'd believe on the Son and that you'd be saved and that, and that, and that you'd come to have your sin forgiven and know and understand that Jesus paid the debt for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know today that may be simple and common, but listen, it's so undermined. I don't know about you, but every time I hear the Romans road, it refreshes my heart to know and understand what I have in Christ. These mysteries that were concealed, being revealed, still makes my heart sing. It's wonderful. It's tremendous. To know that we've been forgiven by the blood of his son, by the cross. Those who do the will of God demonstrate a heart that is after God's own heart. When Paul the Apostle came to his place in his first uh, missionary journey, uh, well, actually, let me before, let me, before I, I actually get into that, let me, let me go to a parallel passage. Go to Luke chapter 8, and then we'll, we'll, come, we'll come to the, uh, the preaching of Paul the Apostle regarding David. But I want you to see something very significant here in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 8. Those who do the will of God demonstrate a faith that obeys God. It's very important that we understand that because they go hand in hand. If you have a desire to do the will of God, or if you do the will of God, that means you obey the book. You obey the Bible. Uh, a person really can't say, oh, I have a heart to do the will of God, and put the God's word aside, because they go hand in hand. A person can say that with their lips, but their, but their actions toward the word of God speaks volumes. And so we understand our submission to the word of God will prove the fact that we are indeed in love with the will of God and want a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 8, look at verse 19. Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. And he answered and he said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which what? Hear the word of God and what? Do it. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You are a wise builder. You're a wise builder. 
Everything, everything that he actually preached on the Sermon on the Mount, he concluded with authority to say that if you're going to hear what I just said and live them out, believe on them and live them out, you are a wise builder. Over here, he's just simply saying that you are part of this family of God. You enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ if you have a desire to do what you hear and obey it. You can't bypass this. As a matter of fact, Abraham was called the friend of God for that very reason. James uses Abraham as a classic example for Christians, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, who demonstrated genuine faith that feared God. In James chapter 2 and verse 21, notice what the Bible says, was, Ab was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeing thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. In other words, he's simply alluding to the fact that Abraham's faith was genuine. You can't bypass this. So you have professing believers versus genuine believers, and what makes the difference between the two? Having a heart to do the will of God. What's the proof of that? Submitting to God's word. You can't undermine it today. You know, you know why people undermine it? Because there are a whole heap of people on the other side saying, all you've got to do is just believe, believe, believe. You don't have to demonstrate any fruit or whatsoever. You can still have a relationship with Jesus Christ and love Jesus Christ and you don't have to obey him. And you know what? You're still in a loving relationship with God. That's diabolic. That's absolutely disgusting. It reminds me of the traditional Catholic that I was, thinking that I was a Christian when I wasn't. I knew about Jesus. I could tell you that he died for my sin. I celebrated it uh, two times a year. As a matter of fact, I went to church, tried to read my Bible, but I was never, ever born again. Never was part of the family of God. Never. Never had a desire to do the will of God. Didn't even know what the will of God was. I was religious but lost. How many people today, they're religious and they're lost. But notice what the Bible says in verse 23. And the, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham what? believed God and it was putted unto him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. The first thing that Abraham did is believe God and God imputed that to him for righteousness sake. But you know what that faith made him do? Follow God, obey God, fear God, trust God in a way that he that cometh to him must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. You know, Abraham had a vibrant walk with God. You just have to see before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, Abraham talking to God, walking with God. It was unbelievable the way he, met, he, he was going back and forth, talking to God. How many Christians today that profess to know Christ talk to God in that manner? When I was a Catholic, I never had spoken to God like I knew him and was known of him. As a matter of fact, we were taught this prayer to say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To over and over again, like God was distant. This distant God. That we were too far and I couldn't even approach God. And thank God today we can through Jesus Christ. But how many people know this? And don't come to God through Jesus. They have no relationship with Christ. There are many, many people today Many people. Believing God demonstrates a heart for God. It was David that demonstrated a heart for God by doing the will of God. And this is where we turn to Acts chapter 13. I want you to see this. On Paul's missionary journey, he went to Antioch in Presidia, 
preaching in the synagogue, reminding the Jews how King David fulfilled all of the will of God, all of the will of God, everything that God set forth to David to do, David did it. That's what it means. Acts chapter 13, look at verse 22. I want you to see this. He raised up unto them David to be their king. Who did he put forth? Who, who did he undermine, if you will? Who, who did he uh, dim, uh, you know, step down? King Saul. Anyone can remember why King Saul was stepped down? Because he didn't have a heart after God's own heart. Didn't do what the prophet uh, told him to do. The prophet Samuel told him over and over again, do this, and he didn't do it. And by the way, a prophet in that day was a spokesman for God. He was a preacher of righteousness. He said, thus saith the Lord, king. And he didn't do it. Why? Because King Saul wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to fulfill the desires of his own heart. He didn't have a desire to do the will of God. He didn't have a desire to fulfill everything that the prophet of God through the word of God told him to do. And so he puts David on the throne to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will. A person that does the will of God and enters into a close relationship with the Lord is someone that has a heart that is after God's own heart. Say, so how do I have a heart that is after God's own heart? You have a heart for his word. You love his word. You're a Christian that seeks to know what the will of the Lord is. The Bible says in Ephesians very clearly, chapter number 5, don't be unwise, but know what the will of the Lord is. Understand it. How many people today seek diligently in God's word to know what pleases God and fulfills it? How many? Very few and far in between. I guarantee you. It's like the word of God cramps their style. It like undoes everything that they want to do. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. And we, and we conform ourselves to the word of God because we know and understand that God's word is what? It's best. We want God to renew this thinking because our thinking is warped and it's, it, it is absolutely uh, trying to be uh, conformed by the fashion of our culture and, 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 and swayed in an area that goes against God. We're, we're in an ungodly world. As a matter of fact, if you go to Romans chapter 12, have a look there, we're told to renew our minds for, for a very specific purpose. And you say, what that, what's, that, what's that purpose? I'll show you. In Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. I mean, the first step is to have this heart that is surrendered to God. Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, not unto, not unto any man, but unto God. Proving what is acceptable on the Lord. Prove all things. 
and hold fast to that which is good. And that's what someone that has a heart for God or has a surrendered heart or present their bodies, a living sacrifice starts there saying, Lord, I'm done. I'm surrendered. I want your will to be done. Not my will, but your will to be done. Be not conformed to this world, but be, be what? Not transformed. Not only surrendered, but separated. Separated from the filth of this world and the culture of this world. And I would even take it a step further, not only the culture of our world today, but even some cultures in Christendom which undermine the grace of God and turn it into what? What do they change it to? Lasciviousness. Preachers behind pulpits encouraging you to live your best life now. Live it up. They teach a convenient Christianity instead of a crucified Christianity. People are sick of hearing these messages week in, week out. They're sick of it. And that, that's leading up to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, people will turn their ears away from it. They want to hear it. They, don't want, they, they despise prophecy. They despise preaching, rebuke, reproof. They despise it. As a matter of fact, the temptation for even preachers today is simply, should I just tone it down? See, this is too hard. It's too No, it's a reminder to refresh God's people that we need to be fresh, that you know what? We need to stay on the straight and narrow. But that's the temptation. Why don't you prophesy unto us smooth things? Why don't you tell us some things that you know, encourage us to fulfill our will, to do what we want to do? Well, what did James say? Don't live your life planning outside of the will of God. I'm paraphrasing. And boasting about your plans and affairs and all the rest of it. No, no. Live your life saying, if the Lord wills, we will do this, that and the other. How many people plan outside of the will of God and then just boast in their efforts? You know what, you know what he says? All this boasting is what? Evil. To him, to knoweth, to do good and doeth it not to him, it is what? Sin. Brethren, don't plan outside of the word of God. Don't, don't plan outside of the principles of God's word which, which lead and govern you, your life, your family, the church, and every area. Know what, what's the will of God for me in this area? What does God want me to do here and there? How do I walk in the will of God, fulfilling the heart of God and bringing glory to God by the life that I live? And then he says in verse of Romans chapter 1 and verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by how? The renewing of your mind. How do we renew this mind? How do we think like God? How do we be godly? To be saturated with the word of God. You know, when I was a Christian, when I became a Christian, I fell in love with the Lord because I saw the cross. And then when I picked up this book, I... I I began to fall in love with, with the truths found in this book. I mean, br being brought up as a Catholic, we had truth concealed. You know, you'd hear a few little, you know, things here, there, and, the, and, and all the rest of that. But for a preacher, when I first went to a Bible-believing church, and the, and the preacher was preaching, so where has this been? Now preaching is overrated. You hear it everywhere, distorted, overrated, you know, all the rest of it. But when I, when I first heard preaching, proper preaching, and I, and I had my little devotions at home and 
read, I just want to read some more and more and more. I was wanting to know who is his God that gave his only begotten son. I fell in love with the word of God. And then I want to do the will of God. I lost a lot of things, a lot of things, the decisions that I had to make. And, and looking back at it now, it, was a, it wasn't really a sacrifice. At that particular time, it was. But looking back, it was a blessing. God had saved me from disastrous decisions that would have impacted my life. And I would dare to say that I wouldn't even be here today with you. I thank God for his word. But I fell in love with it. I, I fell in love with his word. I want to know more of it. Listen, what, why should that stop 20 years after you're saved? Why should that stop 30 years or 40 years or 55 years or 10? Why? Why should there be an apathy toward the word of God? And, and, and know it because, because the word of God becomes common. Oh, we know this one. You know, preacher preaches on the passage. You can probably come up with the outline yourself and know where he's going with this. Instead of, you know what, this, this passage here is an old-time classic. I love this one. I've heard this one before. Instead of saying, what new thing is he going to say? I mean, we've heard this before. Oh, and the rolling of the eyes begin. And, we, you, know, and you almost know where he was going to go. Your heart's not even prepared to hear from God and understand that there are some things that need to be said time and time again, lest we let them slip. And, and, and we need to live them out. You know, the best sermons remembered are, the, are those that are lived out. Did you know that? The best sermons remembered. You remember sermons when you live them out, when they affect your heart and you live them out. You, affect, you won't lose them. Why? Because they affect you, allow, you prepared your heart like Ezra did. And, 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 and you, you know what? You were prepared to hear from God. And no matter where you were in the scripture, because it's God's word, it affected your heart. And you in turn went out and broke and obeyed. But where is that breaking before God? Where is it today? You see in the Old Testament when they were actually found the book of the law after it was, you know, bound and forgotten they found the book of the law and they all had this fear some of them were weeping but now we have what four bibles in the home on our devices we can get a hundred on the computer it's everywhere but is it in our hearts is it read studied loved obeyed pursued that's the question is it renewing our mind are we thinking like god in a wicked society and understand that when we do hear preaching we say oh that doesn't sound right that doesn't sound right there's something wrong with that as a matter of fact that that goes against god's word that goes against god's will that god doesn't say that how many people know their bible to understand what the will of the lord is and what what, what is sound doctrine and and that we'd know it and live it and hide it in our hearts how many and he says here that you may renew your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can you really say that you're walking in the will of God and where you are right now is the God's will fulfilled? Can you really say that? Can you really say, is God leading me by his word? Is God leading me? Am I in God's will? Where you are right now, I'm not saying look at another Christian. I'm saying, do you have a walk and a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God the Father? Because our fellowship is with both the Father and the Son in the Spirit of God, and we read the Word of God and we can't get enough of it. 
He guides us and leads us, and when we don't read this, we know something's wrong. Do you, does your heart panter after God's word? Like that deer pantereth after the water brook? So just lately, a man died from heat stroke just recently. He was a young man. He was training for some sort of, I don't know what kind of event he was training for. He had two train, uh, um, people that were, were helping him train and all the rest of it. They made him run in a, in a, in, in a very high you know, uh, humility and they gave him no water. He fr his friends went to, went to give him some water and they, the coaches said, no, no, don't give him any water. He's got to get his own water. He's got to find it and get it as part of his training. And the guy got that dehydrated and the sun was hitting him and he, had, he was running up and down the court, this, I, don't know, I think they called it the, the, the hill of death or something of that nature. He ran about 10 times up and down and then he went running, banging on the school doors, banging, 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 trying to, trying to get in, trying to go for some water because he was dying. He literally went to this fountain that had some water in it but had dried up and they found his body dead about a couple of meters from that fountain. It was dried up. He just wanted water. I'm dying. How many Christians, how many Christians feel spiritually dehydrated because this collects dust and they read one psalm or one passage or this or that and it closes so soon in the morning and, and they don't even turn to the word of God. They just, it's almost like it's a burden to read God's word. How many Christians are knowing that they're spiritually dehydrated. You know what uh, Paul says to the Ephesians? Wake up from your sleep. Wake up. Christ will give you light. He's talking to Christians. And then he tells them to, to, to simply understand what the will of the Lord is and walk, walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? For the days are evil. How many people are pantering after the, uh, the will of God, wanting to know the will of God, to fulfill the will of God in every area of their life, in their work, in their family, in their church, in their marriage? What is priority? Their relationship with God. I want you to see a family that no doubt will stand amongst the rest. And I, I, I don't have any reserves in talking about them in this way. They're gone. They're in the presence of the Lord. They're a family in the Bible called Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Go to John chapter 11. And I want you to see this extraordinary family have a heart for God, love the Lord, uh, believe the Lord, follow the Lord. I want you to see this uh, mutual relationship that even the Lord Jesus had with them. Wonderful example to every single one of us. Genuine, if you mean, if you saw any genuine believers in the in the Bible, you would have go you would have go to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and you say, mate, th this is how we this is how a, a godly home looks like. There's there's no doubt they stand as a Wonderful example before us. And I want you to see verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. 
It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he, he whom thou lovest is sick. So did, did, the, did the people know and understand that Jesus loved Lazarus? Absolutely. There was a special affection for that family, and I'll, I'll, I'll allude to it to uh, upcoming verse. Look at verse 4, when Jesus heard that he's... Uh, Jesus heard that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus would use the sickness and death of Lazarus to build up and strengthen those whom he loved. It would demonstrate God's power in the coming resurrection. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved who? Martha. And her sister, which is Mary, and you ever wonder why the Holy Spirit records this very clearly for us? Makes it emphasized here? I mean, this, this is an intimate relationship that the Lord Jesus had with his family. He had an intimate, this is not shallow, this is intimate and close. And the Holy Spirit records this for us to emphasize the fact of what kind of relationship Jesus had with this family. No doubt, I, I believe that, because this family embraced the Lord, received him, uh, you know, lavished hospitality under him, served him, uh, wanted to be under his teaching, followed him fervently. They worshipped him. You'll see this in a moment. Verse 6, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, I believe this was deliberate. He purposely... Uh, and deliberately waited. It was partial fulfillment of the will of God and, and demonstrating the glory of God. Uh, you know, he, he delayed for a purpose. It's almost like he was sick, he was about to die, and his delay allowed him to, to die, and if he had gone sooner, he would have healed him. But it was very clear that God was working all things together for good to them that love God. It was very clear. That's what he was doing in this family's life, working all things together for good. Although many of them didn't understand why his delay, why get up and go and, 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 and attend to sick Lazarus. Well, God had a purpose in it. Listen, I want to remind you that God's delays are not God's denials. There are some things that happen in our life when we're trusting the Lord. And I mean it. Listen, I'm talking about you love the Lord, you trust the Lord, you're doing everything to follow the Lord, you're serving the Lord, you're, you're listening to his word, you, you uphold the Lord, you're not ashamed of him in the public eye. And then things happen. And you pray and you seek after the Lord and you let him know and all of a sudden... There's a delay. Well, God's delays are not God's denials. I know that God works all things together for good to them who what? Love him. Brethren, you should know if you love the Lord. And, and, and by the way, loving the Lord is by, the, by your life. You should know because if you love the Lord. Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you know whether you're keeping his commandments or not or following. You know when you're disobedient to his word and his will. You know that. And if I love the Lord, I know he's going to work all things together for good. And you know what's a good thing to do? You're walking, trying your best to do all the things that God is telling you to do and the responsibility that he's given you. That when you come in your presence and you say, like the psalmist, 
I love you. Tell him you love him. And tell him why you love him. God wants to be loved, you know that. As a matter of fact, if you don't love the Lord, let him be anathema, anathema, that judgment day. God has called all men to love God supremely. He wants to be loved, adored, worshipped. Verse 7, Then after that, saith his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou hither again? And he answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walketh in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Look at verse 11. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend. You say how he calls Lazarus his friend? Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Well, what, 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 what do you mean he's asleep? Well, look at verse 16. Then said, oh, sorry, uh, uh, verse 12 then said his disciples Lord if he sleep he should do well well if he's asleep well let him sleep he's, that's fine he's sick let him sleep how bit Jesus spoke of his death but they thought that he, that he had spoken of uh, taking a rest in sleep and then said Jesus unto them plainly Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So was Jesus glad for his disciples that they weren't there? Why? Well, he's given them a foretaste of what was going to take place in the future resurrection. He was going to use Lazarus's death to portray the power of God and the glory of God in raising him up. And that by his demonstration with the power of God in raising Lazarus up, that they would believe in the resurrection to come and believe on the Lord, that they'll be part of those people that will be raised up with Christ. The whole point, and we see, look, listen, you don't have to be there to believe it. Jesus said it, his word is quickening. He uses it, and all these things are written that you and I may believe. We know and understand that when he raised up Lazarus, it was true, historical event. These are true accounts by eyewitnesses that were witnesses in front of those people that would uh, no doubt doubt and those that would believe. There's no doubt that you know in your heart that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. God lets it know to every man. But look at, look at Thomas here. Is doubting Thomas? Have a look. Then uh, said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us, go, or, let us also go that we might die with him. It's very unusual. What are you saying, Thomas? Well, you know what? If Jesus is going to go back and he's going to simply go to that place where they were threatening him to stone him and kill him, we might as well go and die with them all. Let's go. Courage. Passion. Is this the same Thomas that we're talking about? Oh, they all had a heart for God. Peter had a heart for God. Well, he denied him three times. Well, Peter's a man just like you and me. We fall, we stumble, don't we? You know, what Jesus is trying to do is work on their faith. He's trying to help them. And, and, and he does that 
with us. He does that through the Word of God and events in our life. You know, the worst thing that could ever happen to a Christian is stepping out of the will of God and God letting you have your way. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. You know what I thank God for? That when I wander away, and if I wander away, God chastens me. And who the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth. So, Lord, please, if I turn to the left or right, please let me know sooner or later. I don't want to be under your loving hand. I know how it feels to be under that. I want to be in your will, and I'm willing to die in the will of God instead of dying outside. It's it's an awful thing to die outside of uh, the will of God, to die a premature death. It's an awful thing. The best thing is to die in the will of God, doing what God calls you to do. Well, if we, we might as well just go. If this is what's going to happen, we'll just, we'll just go. The Lord, the Master said, let's go, let's go. And we sing those songs, don't we? We sing, no matter where he goes, I will follow. Wherever he leads me, I will go. I will go. Is that true in your life? Even if you knew that your life would be threatened, all your dreams trashed, taken away, if you followed the Lord and it was even to the point of death, would you do it? That's a test. Verse 17, and when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Martha sat still in the house and said, Martha, unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he should rise again in the resurrection at that last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And look at what she says in verse 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Look at this. Which shall come into the world. Yeah, she believed in his first coming. She believed in his second coming. And she believed that everything that the Lord said will happen, will happen. She believed. She trusted him. And she knew on that last day, the resurrection will take place. So Jesus was trying to use Lazarus' death to convey the resurrection of the dead. In that day, people would be raised unto life and people would be raised unto death. To life and destruction. Anyone in Christ will be raised unto life. Now I want you to see now this extraordinary obedience by Mary. In verse 28, and when he had said, uh, and, and when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, the master is come and calleth for thee. She was still. She was at home amongst those people that perhaps were mourning with her. And then the word of the Lord came to Mary saying, you know what, Mary? Jesus is calling for you. And watch, look at verse 29. Look at this. And as soon as she heard that, she arose slowly. Does it say that? She arose quickly and came 
and a hymn. Wow! Now you can't just stop there and, and, and keep going. Do you, do you understand the lordship of Christ in the life of this family, how beautiful it looked like? That no matter what the Lord said, the Lord said, and that, that was it. The Lord commanded them to do whatever it is, and they did it quickly, without haste. That didn't delay, at his word, it was done. Mary was a perfect example of this. Extraordinary faith and obedience. Extraordinary. Verse 30, now Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. And the Jews then, which were with her in her house and comforted her when she, they saw Mary that, they, that she arose up hastily and went out followed her saying she goeth unto the grave to weep there then when Mary was come where Jesus was she saw him and what happened she fell down at his feet you know this was the posture of Mary when Mary first met the Lord when he came to visit them in the house where was she found? At his feet. And moments later, in John chapter 12, Mary's in the house, breaking an alabaster box and worshipping the Lord. And you have grumpy old Judas saying, oh, this is a waste. Hey, listen, my friend, no matter what you do for the Lord and for his glory, according to his will, is not a waste, is not a vain. It's not. It's not. You read 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? As you know, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everything you do for the glory of God in the will of God is not vain. She worshipped him. That was God's will. She followed him. She believed him. She was at his feet. Uh, hearing his word, she came and she was casting all her cares upon him. That's what happened here. Saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. I know that you would have healed him. You could have healed him. But you know what the Lord was trying to do? He was trying to do something even greater than just healing someone. He was going to raise him from the dead. Look at verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Groaning simply means that he was deeply moved and stirred, troubled. He was stirred and disturbed. Why? Because he's seeing Mary. Can you understand? She's crying. She's gone through an emotional uh, you know, setback because of her, her brother dying. She cares for her brother. And, 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 and Jesus is troubled and later on he weeps. Listen. Just because God puts things supremely and he wants us to put him first and our relationship uh, simply to be first with him, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care uh, uh, regarding our earthly relationships. He, he, he cares. He's concerned about the life that we live here on earth. He's worried about things and, and cares for those things. He, he's concerned about us. As he wept, he cried, he saw her distressed, her heart. Broken over her brother. He didn't rebuke her for that. It's natural. We go through things that are natural. But she was still bowing 
it was still his Lord, her Lord. And he was troubled. Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You think God doesn't care about earthly, tangible things that we have? Of course he does. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know how many people run around trying to fix up all these things and leaving God aside? Put him on the back burner. And you go ahead. You see the world do it. Some of them are successful. But I, I guarantee you, again, you'll never be successful in the will of God and having the will of God fulfilled in your life. Never. Never. Not one bit. Not one bit. Are you in the will of God? Are you walking in the will of God? Are you doing in the will of God? Because your relationship with the Lord hinges on that. Can you honestly say, I am putting God first and doing what he wants me to do? And then, if you do, he cares about those things. Food, clothes, shelter, family. He cares about them. He surely does. Don't you think he doesn't care about them? But not on the expense of putting God on the back burner. You know, let me just something. You know what the greatest temptation is? Not to put God last. None of us in this room would say, oh yeah, I'll put, God, you know, I'll put him last. No, 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 no. The temptation is this. Putting God second. Putting him second. And look at verse 34. He said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept and said to the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And the saying, and the psalm, and some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Of course he can. But he was doing something greater here. Verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to, to the grave and it was a cave and a stone laid up upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said not, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where, he was, where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did. What they do? That's the whole purpose. Believed on him. You know, sometimes when God comes through and you wait and you're patient and you see the hand of God, God is trying your faith. Whether you're going to trust him or not. Whether you're going to believe on him or not. Now what about in closing for the sake of time from verses 45 to 53, we see a plot to kill Jesus. Look at verse 53. Then, forth, uh, then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. Now, they wanted to kill him before, but this is now a purposeful plot planning to get rid of him. 
That was it for them. They're going to lose their place. People are following. They're believing him. Losing their, their status quo, if you will, amongst the community. But what about Lazarus? What was Lazarus' you know, uh, demeanour here or, or, or faith exhibited? And we'll go to John chapter 12. And I want you to see verse 9 to 11. And we'll close with a few points and verses made here. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, that Jesus was there. And look at this, they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Why? I mean, what did Lazarus do? <laughs> because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. I'll tell you what he, what he did. He was a living testimony of God's grace. He was a living testimony of God's glory. And I guarantee you, Lazarus would have loved it to be so. I mean, you just have to identify yourself with Jesus in those days, and you were a target. Yeah. You think anything has changed today? Nothing. Nothing. When you go out, my friend, and you make yourself known that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you love the Lord by preaching the gospel and calling men, all men everywhere to get in the relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I guarantee you right now, you will be a target. You may not experience death, but you will surely be hated, falsely accused, speaking, uh, people will speak evil about you. You'll be ridiculed. You know why majority of Christendom don't go out and share their faith? Because of the fear of people, the fear of man, and the fear of persecution. You know, to identify with the Lord Jesus in that day and not to be ashamed of him means that you were putting yourself in harm's way. What do you think? Uh, Peter denied the Lord three times because he knew that, hey, you're one of his disciples. Let's, let's, hey, get him. How did Peter stand in that day? By the grace of God. When the Spirit of God came upon him in that upper room, he was able to preach boldly. When he understood everything that Jesus taught through the Holy Spirit and God given them the power that came upon them to fulfill everything, and the same power that was given unto them is given to us to be a witness in our day here today. And that, brethren, is fulfilling the will of God. The will of God is for this church to continue to go and share Christ to people. If we don't go and share Christ with people, then we, we cease to become everything that God designed the church to be. God, he wants us to glorify him, absolutely. Sing praises to him. He wants us to meet together so we can sharpen each other, serve one another, and so the people out there know and see and understand there's a people that love God. And when they come into the congregation, they see the devotion to God. They see a love for God, a love for the brethren, but they also need to hear the gospel. At what expense? At any expense. Putting your family at risk. I was even told by people within the church, one of them to be a preacher, during the lockdowns, that oh, no, you shouldn't go out and baptise that person. Baptise him in your bathroom. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the, in the little bath there. Baptise him there. Because we, we understood that if we go out, we're going to get a, what's the fine, $1,000? 
Try, about, try, try having your back scourged. Try, try being put in prison. Try with Jeremiah being put in the dungeon. Every man that served God, especially those that were appointed by God, were persecuted by his enemies because they were the enemies of the cross. The will of God is, is not for us to cower, to, put, to hide our light under a bushel or under a bed. How many Christians share Christ with others? I wonder today. How many? How many souls have you lifted and bear the name of Christ? Because you know what Paul said to the Philippians, and it's very clear, brethren. He says, Only let your conversation be as it become the gospel of Christ, that wherever I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. What kind of affairs, church at Philippi? That you stand fast with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing be terrified by your what? Adversaries, your enemies. Which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Look at this. For unto you is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for who? How's that happen? Only but preaching the gospel. I guarantee you, the more you gossip the gospel and preach the word of God for righteousness sake, you go out there, you pass out tracts, you go out there, you talk to people. I tell you now, the less friends you're going to have, the more target you're going to be and hated, and you're only bringing trouble to your home. That's all you're going to do. You bring trouble. You know why trouble came to the house of Lazarus? Because of Jesus. That's why. What did Lazarus do? He hadn't even began to preach at this point but he was a byproduct of the of the gospel that's what it was it was a byproduct of god's grace and the gospel and it was persecuted for righteousness sake walking in the will of god is not to be ashamed of christ but to share in his suffering that's what paul wanted to share in the sufferings of christ yeah so many people want to share in salvation but how many christians want to share in the sufferings Yes, Jesus paid it all, but guess what? All to him I owe. It's only my right privilege, not just a duty, but a privilege to bear the name of Jesus to every person God allows me to be in contact with. You know, I tell you, sometimes I develop relationships out there with the world, whether it's people that I, you know, getting you know, a real estate agent or the lawyer or the accountant or people that want to buy things and we talk and we, I'm thinking, man, this relationship is going so, so well. When I start to mention the Lord or the gospel, I wonder what it's going to do to it. And you, you're fearful. You're fearful because you might be ripped. You know how many people desire to buy something and they don't sell me something on Marketplace because they see my Facebook and they see it's all about, you know, they don't get back to me and they don't, they don't want, they'll sell it to anybody but me because I just have Jesus on my Facebook. Yeah. And then I have to get someone else to say, can you see if this is still full, you know, and maybe you could, that's what happens. Not all people, but some people, if they go the further extra mile, they won't sell it to you because you're just a follower of Jesus. I hate him. But a servant is not greater than his master. They hated him, they're going to hate you. We are the children of God. This is why the, the world doesn't know you, because they doesn't know him. John says, yeah, it is a privilege, and behold, what manner of love 
That we are part of the family of God. We have a relationship with Jesus. We do the will of God. And the world's not going to know you. Think, who are these people? Where they've come from? They're not from here. They're peculiar people. This is who we are in Christ. This is the will of God. The will of God is not for us to be settled and pegged down, if you will, our tents. That we already, you know what? Abraham was ready to go every time God says, get up and go. He was ready to go. Why? Because he saw a city. This heavenly city through the eyes of faith. Whose builder and maker was who? God. And what about Moses? We'll close off with Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Hey, listen, my heritage and my upbringing, he turned his back. I'm not going to be on the side of the ungodly world that hates my God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be standing with the enemy against my God. The friend of the world is the enemy of God. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And by the way, they're just for a season. That's all they are. You can go and live outside of the will of God, but it's just for a season. What he says, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Look at this, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. <laughs> wow. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Being humiliated because of Christ is greater treasure than what is found in this world. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see it? been Christian for 20 years. I saw it the day I was persecuted for telling people about Jesus and how to get to heaven. You know, honestly, I was that naive. Had not on the Bible. I thought, people just need to hear this message. Wow! So I went out and I endeavoured to tell people and oh, to my shock horror. So what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you want to have your sin forgiven? Why wouldn't you want to believe on the Lord? Like, what is wrong? Because when I read John 3, he tells me what's wrong. Later on I learned this. That people love darkness more than the light and the reason they won't come into the light and God sent in the world to be a light is because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. They don't want to repent and believe on the Lord. They want to froth at the mouth. They love their sin. They love darkness more than the light. They love Lucifer more than God. They love death rather than the word and the wisdom of God. It's what the wisdom of God says. Those that don't embrace the wisdom of God and the Proverbs and the profoundness of uh, Christ that has come love what? Death. That's what it says. You say, are you serious? Yeah, well, you, you want to go on the street with me one time and say how many people? I'll tell you, if I got a dollar for every single person today that said, I'd rather go to hell, I'll also be supported. I'll tell you. How many people want to go to hell, love death, rather be with Lucifer? And I'm, I'm not saying people that are ignorant. They're, these people, sincerely, for the most part, they, they want to go there. It's crazy. And then he says, 
for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He knew and understand. He knew and understand that those that seek him diligently, those that, that, those that believe that he is, he's a rewarder of them that seek him diligently. He understood. They understood that there's far greater treasures in heaven than here on earth. And you know what? The greatest treasure is Christ himself. By faith, he forsook Egypt. And here it is, not fearing the wrath of the king. You didn't, you didn't fear Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is an antichrist. You know that. Herod in the Bible were antichrists. All, all these antichrists were up against the people of God from the beginning. And our government is an antichrist. And it's coming. What's coming? See this book? It's going to be banned. See the gospel preaching ministry? Mark it down. We said a lot of things that would take place. And you say, how do you know? Are you a prophet? I could see, I know, what, I know my Bible. I know what's coming. One day, you, it won't only be criminal to preach the gospel, but off with your head. I tell you. But you know what Moses said? I'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God. He didn't fear the king. For the fear of man bringeth a snare. But whosoever put their trust in the Lord shall be made safe. I'll tell you this. The greatest hindrance for you to walk in the will of God and do what God wants you to do and be in a close relationship with Jesus and enjoy the spiritual blessing in heavenly places is the, is the face of man. The fear of man. And you look at these people in the light of these wonderful books. You say, why am I afraid of this person? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Who's this? Who, who are they when they come up? You know, do you know and understand that if you're going to threaten me with death, that it is a promotion for me? Do you understand that? Do you understand that I'll be in the presence of God? You know how many people in Newcastle want me dead? Just maybe two months ago, it was six weeks ago, a lady came up and says, I hate you. I said, I know. I know you do. She said, I want to kill you. I said, I'll take a number. Line up. Line up. If you're out there preaching the gospel week in, week out, the book of Acts comes alive. If you're not doing it, nothing's going to happen. And then, I don't know how she turned around and said that to Phil, because Phil wasn't even vocal. I was talking to her. And so she turned out to Phil and she pushed him. I hate you too. Oh yeah. He's just standing there like Lazarus. Wasn't even doing anything. He wasn't even preaching. You know, if you're not, you know how many cowards are on the street and they don't even lift up the name of Jesus or rebuke or reproof or exhort or just, you know, pass out a track and tell. Why? Why? Because they're afraid. You know how many people tell me, why don't you go home and get a life? And I tell them, I've got one. It's in Christ. It's wonderful. But this face, the face of people, will stop you like in the day of Jeremiah. If God didn't give him a, a forehead, that was strong to confront these people like a lion. His ministry would have been finished a long time ago. And even when God did, he was weak and he needed the encouragement of God. He wanted to give up at one point because of the false prophets and the voices out there. And not only from out there in the world, but even within the church, trying to stop him from fulfilling the will of God. 
any man, I don't care who it is, outside of the world or within the church that stops you from fulfilling the Great Commission is doing the devil's work. I'm telling you now, it's the devil's work. I'm reminded what Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what do you mean? Look at Stephen, he's dead, he's gone. He was got stoned, short-lived. What happened to him? He saw the Son of God, the Son of God standing at the right, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a wonderful uh, welcoming. <laughs> yeah, he was in the will of God. Well, what about James when he got his head chopped off and Peter was next? It doesn't matter. What matters is you're in the will of God, doing the will of God. And when you're in the will of God, it's the safest place to be and it exhibits a heart for God and that you have faith that obeys God and you're in a very close relationship with God. Who are my brethren? Who is my brother, my sister, my mother? Anyone that does the will of God. That's who I've got close ties to. That's who I've got close fellowship with. I'd rather be in close fellowship with God, lose the world, but give me Jesus, my friend, than to be close fellowship with the world and lose the Lord. Any day. At what cost? My life? He's, he's the one that gave me this life. Fear him that can kill both the body and soul in hell, my friend. Don't fear him that can kill the body. Elementary. But fear him that's going to come like the Lion of Judah and execute judgment on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Fear him. Anyone outside of the will of God, by not believing on Christ and the gospel, following the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be on the wrong end of history. It's going to be a sad day for you. And I pray that every single one of you will come unto him Come on the Christ. Believe on him. The one that's come down from heaven. Wants to be your saviour. Wants to lead you. Guide you all the way. All the way to heaven. He's your shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. My rod and my staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell. Where? How long? Come on. You think that world's got anything to offer? Rather stand with Christ any day than to be with these sorry God-haters that want to accuse our living God of being a devil. Yeah, you read the prior passages. And Jesus said very clearly, whoever's not with me is against me. Which side do you want to be on? Within the will of God or outside of the will of God? I hope and pray that every one of you will Make a decision if you haven't already to be on the right side of God through Jesus Christ in the family of God. Nothing in this world beats that, my friend. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.